the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we are working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Join our conversation. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. As the 16th President Abraham Lincoln succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Tonight, we will be continuing a discussion. We started a few episodes back on the four greatest threats we are seeing play out in education today. We are going to take a deep dive into the first of those threats invading our schools. It is one of uh, the most known acronyms if you listen to any sort of news at all. Mm -hmm. CRT. If -hmm. you are not familiar with that, oh my word, do you ever look at your phone? Is your head in the sand? (laughs) But if you somehow have missed this, CRT does stand for critical race theory. Mm -hmm. And while there are many on certain sectors or in certain sectors of our society that will say, oh, CRT isn't in the schools. We don't teach critical race theory. Um, We know that this is actually an extremely pervasive um, idea that has permeated really all of education throughout the nation. And while it's not going to come under the label of critical race theory, most schools aren't going to say, oh, yeah, we're doing a class on critical race theory (laughs) or we're going to teach our kids critical race theory. The ideas behind critical race theory have been embedded in virtually every subject um, in in almost every school across the nation. And, I, and that goes for a lot of private schools too, by the way. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit first about what really is the idea behind critical race theory. Really, it is this idea, this belief that there is systemic racism throughout all of Western civilization and that the only way to really rid ourselves of it is to really dismantle Western civilization as we know it today and then remake it in sort of this utopian notion that somehow those that were oppressed are not going to become oppressors themselves. And this is the problem with sort of this binary thinking that there's only oppressors or oppressed people as though that's the only two categories we have. And when you can, when you think about that, Abigail, I mean, imagine if you are in a minority group of some sort, which you're, you're being a, you being a white female, many would, middle class woman, many would say you're probably not, um, you're female. 
So maybe a little bit more of a minority, right? So we're going into all this, you know, intersectionality. But if you are a black woman and you're being told you're oppressed, but yet you're working hard in school, you're, you've got goals for your life, you want a vision for your future, and you just keep being told over and over and over that you're a victim, do you think you're going to fulfill those goals or is it going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy? It is. It's very backwards, but I mean, that's this entire philosophy. It's um, it's a whole lot of people that frankly went to a university for far too long. They live in their ivory towers and they spout mm-hmm. ridiculous nonsense day in and day out. They're very, um, they're very detached from, to be frank, real what, life. W- real life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see that with um, one of the main theorists or contributors to this theory out, I would say, in this public sphere is Ibram X. Kendi. Mm -hmm. Um, That is not his birth name. It's um, something far more conventional. And he came up with Ibram (laughs) X. Yeah, it's something, I think it's maybe even Henry or something. But he he came up with that name and he wrote a book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And in that book, his main, you know, one of his main theories is past discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present day yep. discrimination. And future. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's really mind boggling because when you consider the founding documents of this nation and really Western civilization in general, it's built on this notion that we are all created in the image of God and that we are all created equal. Mm-hmm. And so to then say that you're going to use racism to end racism, like I said before, it's this idea that somehow you're going to create utopia without these same people becoming racist themselves. It doesn't make any sense. And it, it condones racism in the name of racism. It does. <laughs> and again, this is a whole bunch of theories that I think, unless you are spending, again, far too much time on Twitter or far too much time listening to a whole host of different newscasts and uh, theorists, it just you just sit there going, wait a minute, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Now they, you know, theorists would say, well, Rebecca, you know, the way that this is, is, you know, we're not justifying racism because actually those that have less power in their theory cannot be be racist. racist Uh, Right. Because that to them, and again, this is just kind of all of these theories that don't really play out in real life. And I think what I love that, you know, your understanding of this is, but wait a minute, is this really going to benefit anyone Mm -mm. to be told constantly that either one, you're an oppressor um, based on what? Nothing but your skin color. Uh, And and Mm -hmm. I'll, you know, just because again, you know, Rebecca and I, I'm sure listeners know we're at different ends of the parenting spectrum. So I often look at Rebecca and go, <laughs> tell me about the other side. Tell me about what, you know, what it's like when your children can freedom, freedom and full <laughs> sentences, no help with, you know, basic bodily functions. It's, you know, just tell me about the other side. It sounds great. So, but on, you know, my side of um, the parenting spectrum, one thing, and you read a lot of things as a parent and, you know, half of them you throw out because it doesn't apply necessarily to your parenting situation. But one thing that I remember reading and absorbing that I thought was useful was, you know, when you're, when you're disciplining your child, when you're helping guide them and teach them about appropriate behavior, one thing that you don't do with your child when they are misbehaving is, you know, for example, not that I would, you know, use this, you know, term with my child, but say, 
you're being such a jerk, Mm -hmm. you know, or you're being, you're being, you are a, Mm -hmm. you know, you call them a name and maybe they are acting very frustrating at the, you know, their, their behavior is really frustrating. They're not acting in a kind way, but you never want to, to turn, to label them as though they are. You want to, you want to name, say your actions of X are unkind or they're disrespectful or right. they're not okay. Right. And so now we're going to proceed with how whatever that looks like to help them understand it. But what you don't do is say, well, you're just a bad kid. Mm-hmm. You're just a you're horrible kid and you'll always be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone in the world knows, oh my gosh, you don't say that to, you know, to a young child because they will internalize that. And, and it's not true. Yes, their actions, they're acting like whatever age they are, which means their brain is... Not fully formed, and that can be very difficult, you know, parenting, but they're not a bad child. Mm-hmm. They are acting in a way that is not okay. So in other words, what you're saying is that that's what's happening with yes. this idea of being a victim. You're being told you're a victim. Yes. So therefore you become that, or you're being told you're an oppressor, and therefore you start to believe it, even if you really aren't. Absolutely. Yeah. And what blows my mind is, um, you know, we've got people all throughout education, all of whom I think, you know, you've worked in the education world, you know, a lot of those people that, I mean, they work with kids day in, day out. So they feel like they have an expertise Mm -hmm. and a lot of them really do um, Mm -hmm. with children and helping them learn and helping them grow. And they're falling hook, line and sinker for that. And you're going, Mm -hmm. now let's switch this. If it wasn't, you know, part of this, frankly, trendy idea that you're, you know, that is either you're accepting or is being foisted upon you. Would you ever tell one of your students you're just you're just a bad kid mm-hmm. and you'll never amount to anything? Mm-hmm. You would be a terrible teacher. Mm-hmm. And yet we're doing that exact same thing. We're just modifying it. Mm-hmm. And then we're thinking somehow this is going to raise you the know, level for everyone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's absolute insanity. And as we've discussed, this is pervasive. And yeah. I want our listeners to know that. Um, and it's not just about racism. This would have also to do with, you know, the whole LGBT community, um, any any type of minority group. And, and you've heard that term intersectionality and the idea being the minority groups are victims and anybody that is either white, capitalist or Christian, uh, male especially, is the oppressor, regardless of how um, philanthropic they might be, regardless of how generous they might be to their friends and neighbors and family. It doesn't matter. They are the oppressors. They could be living in a you know broken down trailer in Appalachia. That's what I um, talk about. And they would still be considered... Mm-hmm. You know, with a you know drunk parents and an abusive home, and they'd still be considered the oppressor, which clearly that's makes no you sense. know that makes no sense. Yeah, absolute insanity. Well, anyway, let's get let's also talk a little bit about how this is kind of playing out um, in our actual classrooms. And I do want to just reiterate that this notion of critical race theory, as it pertains to how it plays out in our culture, but especially because we're talking about schools. Um, it is playing out in many different realms. So the idea of individualism, which is a Western notion, is being reduced to collectivism. We're seeing much more collectivist mindset um, in our culture in general. The value of the nuclear family is now being undermined. Um, 
even the emphasis on scientific method, which is grounded in objectivity and reason, is also under fire. And history, of course, we all have heard about the 1619 Project and basically the rewriting of history, who by even the author's own admission isn't truth. Um, I, I believe she called it an origin story, not the origin story of this country. <laughs> kind of like a theory like about how America began. And now it's not backed up by any right. sort of facts, but it's my, and it it's works my imaginary. Because it works for it's my, my narrative. Imag- yes, it's and my it works, imagining. Yeah, works for all these narratives. Um, even hard work is under attack. Um, the work ethic, which is part of Western civilization, and so and I know you're talking about some of that and people might be wondering um, where that's coming from. So yes. this is really interesting. It's actually something that was posted at the Smithsonian's National Museum of African-American History and Culture. And it was so, only up for a few weeks, by the way. I mean, just interesting. I mean, so you're I mean, I know I grew up really respecting organizations like the Smithsonian. I mean, man, if oh it's at gosh. the Smithsonian, yeah. they really know what yes, they're doing. Absolutely. Um, and they're literally promoting the concept of, you know, if you think that it's important that a family has a mom and a dad and kids, that's that, you know, that's that's white culture. Yep, if you, if it's important culture. to you to show to tr- do your best to show up on time and work hard at whatever um, you have in front of you, that's white culture and just how disrespectful mm-hmm. to the, I mean, myriads of, of, you know, different cultures that are here in the United States, how disrespectful to think that somehow, um, you know, that's something that is only related to one type of culture. Right. I mean, my and goodness. This, this is, I think, the biggest negativity on, well, there's many negativities, I guess, but this is one of them. And that is the arrogance to think that they know they, who is they, right? All these people that would promote this mindset would know what is best for everyone or what really represents the other cultures. Absolutely. And anyway, so we're going to keep going because we are already halfway through our show and I want to make sure that we get through some of our examples too. Um, But you are listening to Education America on AM 1280 The Patriot and we're discussing the four main threats to education today with a deeper dive into critical race theory. And then next week we'll be talking about the social studies standards here in Minnesota. But I do want to talk a bit about how this is looking in the classrooms, um, Abigail. And I have shared when I've given a few talks on this, um, a couple of different examples. And one is a melanin project that occurred in one of the districts in the Twin Cities. And it's for kindergartners or so, young, very young children. And they trace their hands and um, they color them to reflect their skin tone. And they put them up on a poster. But the poster reads, stop thinking your skin color is better than anyone else's. Well, what kindergartner is ever thinking that their skin color is better than another's? When you think about kids playing in a playground, there's mixing of the races. They don't even notice race. Nope. So what are they doing? They're teaching them to start viewing the world through the lens of race and with this negative notion that one child thinks theirs is better than another. It really implies negative intent on the part mm-hmm. of these young, young children. 
And again, it's forming how they view each other and how they view the world. Um, it's very sad. And then, you know, another example that I have given many times is another school district, but it was a middle school example where um, students were asked to find themselves on this chart that basically divided characteristics into oppressor versus victim. So once again, just like we were talking about earlier, Abigail, mm-hmm. these kids, once they circle their characteristics, am I white? Yes, I'm white. Am I black? Yes, I'm black. Um, am I heterosexual? Am I Christian? You know, all these things. Oh, my goodness, that means I'm an oppressor. Mm-hmm. And or, oh, my goodness, that means I'm a victim. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was a victim. I actually thought I was doing pretty well in life. <laughs> <laughs> and so telling these kids and at the middle school level, when they are just learning about kind of who they are and their identities anyway, you're tearing at the fabric of who they are as children and you're undermining who they are regardless of whether you're telling them they're oppressors or they're victims. Absolutely. And you just think about how important if if you if children are able to have strong friendships, which at that age is very difficult just because so many things are going on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they can manage to have one or two really solid friends or a really great connection with a pastor or a teacher or a coach, mm-hmm. um, you know, how does constantly pointing out negative things, I mean, these are, you know, it's clearly, it has clearly negative, you know, you're trying to say, you're an oppressor or you're oppressed. Both of those things are negative. No one wants to be an mm-hmm. oppressor. And I don't think most people don't, don't want to be a victim either. Don't want to be a victim either. Mm-hmm. And so you're spreading this complete negativity. You're undermining any sort of maybe I, you know, someone had a really great friend. And yes, they had different backgrounds. Their families came from different places, maybe even completely different cultures. And yet somehow these two kids have become really good friends and become allies and encouragers mm-hmm. of one another trying to help one one another along it in life in a positive way what does that do right. to these to, you know to these kids Tears to constant yes to say but here's all the ways that you're different mm-hmm. well most of us know you know i i can't i really can think of very few people where who with whom i'm exactly the same. exactly either they came from the mm-hmm. same family background with the same socioeconomic status from the same part of the country with the same beliefs, with the same values. And man, we even raise our kids the mm-hmm. same. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen anywhere. And again, it, it simplifies down to two groups, which is just not the reality of what we're dealing with in life. Mm-hmm. And to try to do that, it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on kids in a negative format. Yep. You know, when it comes to the schools, too, um, There's about four different ways it's playing out in the actual classroom. And a lot of this is being done through the help of equity consultants that Mm -hmm. are paid a lot of money, a lot of taxpayer money. A whole lot of money. I mean, this is a great, I mean, if mm -hmm. you are looking for a job and you're good at, you know, coming up with all sorts of stuff, you know, man, go into that field Mm -hmm. because you can get paid it. A lot of money on that. They are raking it in. And they are helping our school districts and private schools, many, um, to transform coursework, grading, scientific method, and discipline. Those are kind of the four areas within a school that we really see this come to light. And so you're hearing a lot about 
uh, in the news where school districts are eliminating AP courses altogether because, oh, gee, it's not fair that not all kids can take AP courses. So we're just going to eliminate them. Mm-hmm. We're seeing this across America. Honors courses, the same thing. Um, we're seeing examples over and over of of school districts lowering the actual um, grading standards. They often don't require homework anymore. Or if they do, it's not graded. Um, these are things that we're just seeing in general in schools. And what I want parents to understand is this all comes from critical race theory. Mm-hmm. So when you are told, no, 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 we don't teach that, what you're seeing, what you know isn't quite right about your child's school is this theory penetrating every aspect of school. Um, grading, the letter grades are even changing. Many of them, they're grading for equity. There's actually a book called Grading for Equity. And I know one district in particular where the consultant recommended that. And so this district is going to immediately start changing the way they grade. And it was about six months after that recommendation that the news printed out or the news put out that the middle school in this district was no longer going to give, I believe it's F's. D's or F's, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it was F's. And, oh, because, you know, that would make them feel like a failure. Them kids who actually maybe deserve to fail so that hopefully they learn what they need to do in life before they grow up, right? Mm-hmm. If we're going to take failure away from children mm-hmm. at this young age, that's not a real world situation for them once they turn 18, Absolutely. Because now if they can't read, now if they don't do the work that they need to do, they're not going to have a job. They're not going to be able to support themselves. And then what's going to happen? Crime is going to go up. And lo and behold, what are we seeing? Crime rates going up at the same time that our school quality is going down. Mm -hmm. And um, this is one of my concerns about the future is that these kids won't be able to support themselves because they will not be given a true education or have a sense of pride in their own abilities. Yes. Um, I, you know, I think that that, and again, I'll just speak from, you know, being in on the, um, the end of one end of the parenting spectrum where, you know, you, you're doing a whole lot and just crossing your fingers and praying that it all turns <laughs> out. Okay. Um, but one of those things is, you know, you know, we've known for a long time that this critical race theory. This stems even from, it stems from a lot of theories that actually uh, were bandied about in law schools years and years and years ago. Mm -hmm. But I think what led to the fertile ground for it was the self-esteem movement that took place, uh, honestly, when I was in school. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, Years and years ago. It's old. old. You know, don't teach kids actual skills that they then will take pride in because they actually have this, they're either a really good writer or they're a fantastic basketball player or they sing beautifully or they can, they have amazing powers of analysis, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, or they build amazing machines with their Mm -hmm. hands, you know, instead of actually teaching kids, no, you know, right now you're not good at whatever the skill is. But you can learn and you can do this, which urges them on to actually develop a skill. And then mm-hmm. you take pride in us in an actual thing because you can you hand it to someone and say, it. this is my accomplishment. I'm mm-hmm. so proud that I'm able to do this. Instead, we're saying, well, that's OK. You don't actually have to be good at anything. You should just feel good about yourself 
anyway. <laughs> and and it but it a yields the same a ribbon for everyone, mm-hmm. but it yields the same results that you're talking about yes. here, which is we have, you know, it's either through CRT or through the self-esteem movement, we're telling people you don't actually have to cultivate real skills that will help you mm-hmm. in the long run, that will make your life more rich and interesting. You'll meet, you know, if you really get into mechanics mm-hmm. and you meet other people that are really into mechanics and all of a sudden this is great and you found your kind of your 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 community and they love the same things you love. Well, that's really exciting. That brings fun and excitement and joy into their life. Right. And instead, they're just kind of, we've got a whole bunch of kids now drifting around telling themselves they're awesome, <laughs> but they can't hold a job down. Do you down. know that there's actual data on that? I shared this a while back. It's actually years old now that um, the one test that the American students, these were um, tests showing results of international students, so not international students in the U.S., but other countries and how they were performing on various scales, right, whether that be reading, writing, math. And this article that shared the results said the one test that the American students tested the highest on was self-esteem, <laughs> which is so classic. This is exactly what you're referring to. And Americans are really good at building their kids up. But, you know, which is, I'm I, I'm all for building kids Absolutely. up. I was told all my life, you can do whatever you set your mind to, Rebecca, as long as you, but there was always that, as long as you work hard, you do what you need to do, you research, you learn, mm-hmm. you read, you go to school. Um, there were always um, essentials. Yeah, there are, cavi- there to are caveats yes, to that. Like, yes. Yes, if you, if you don't have a job and you can't hold one down because you don't show up on time, you don't work right. hard, you, you know, I wouldn't recommend that you whistle home going, everything is awesome. Right. Like, no, it's, this is no. not awesome right, right. at this point, you yeah. know, but again, but that's yeah. what's really good for all people, you know, is yes. find things that you really like to do. And how cool is it that there's a myriad of different things that are of interest to people, yeah. Um, and you can connect with other people and develop those skills. Yeah. And that's what we should be helping our kids yes. to see and develop and grow in. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And Abigail, we only have a few minutes left, but I do want to share with our listeners that while we see this as being important, what's interesting is at the same time that the standards are being degraded in terms of coursework, grading, the scientific method and discipline, which I haven't even had a chance to go into all of those, um, the state of Minnesota actually changed what they consider to be success, a rating of success in the state. So mm-hmm. here's what they said. Um, this was a letter written by a principal to one of their constituents. Recently, the state has revamped their accountability system, now called the North Star System, and with it, they have restructured the picture of what academic achievement means, putting less emphasis on the Minnesota Comprehensive Assessment results alone. So in addition to the MCA proficiency rates, the state now looks at a package of data, including attendance rates. Well, what does that have to do with success? graduation rates, and the progress of English language learners. All important things, but they aren't rating the success of a district. So parents, if you're concerned about this, don't expect that you're going to be able to hear the 
your district is being measured against the proper standards that it used to be measured against. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we are already out of time. I cannot believe this. There is so much more we could talk about. Um, but I am so grateful for this conversation, Abigail, and the fact that um, we have parents that are waking up across the nation and really starting to pay attention to what's being taught in schools. And we hope that this is helping our listeners be more well-informed and be able to go to their districts and have conversations with their teachers about what's happening in their children's schools. Absolutely. You are in charge of your child's education. Yes. So listen to this podcast and any other podcast at am1280thepatriot and savetheclassroom.com. Have a good night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.